Hello and welcome. You're listening to episode 8 of Tate, that's T-A-I-T-E, which is short for Talking About Immersive Theatre. This podcast pretty much does what it says on the tin. I track down immersive theatre makers, directors, producers, venues and performers to give you access and insight to the work that they do and some of the challenges that they have in bringing that work to you. So without much ado, let's get to it. Uh, I'm here at the Centre for Performing Arts at the University of Portsmouth uh, with theatre practitioner Sylvia Mercuriali, is that yes, correct? Yes, correct. <laughs> to talk about her performance work. So hello and welcome hello. Uh, to the department. I know you've been working here all day already. So uh, you've been making work, I think, since 1998, is that correct? Yes, that's, that's correct. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was wondering if you could tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself and your background and kind of how you came to kind of be a theatre maker, really. Yes. So um, I'm Italian. Um, I uh, was based in Milan, where I uh, studied. Um, uh, I studied at the uh, Arsenale Theatre, which is basically exactly the same as Lecoq training. Okay. So very physical training, lots of commedia dell'arte, lots of clowning, lots of that kind of work with masks and uh, melodrama, uh, and then I kind of completely left it behind but I have to say it was a great school because it's uh, what 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 was really good about the school is that it um, it put the focus on you being responsible for your own material okay so rather than it being just about learning certain techniques it was really about okay this are the tools that you could use what are you going to do with them and uh, so I am really glad I did the school even though I don't do anything um, Mm -hmm. close to that Uh, right now. Uh, So I was working in Italy, did a bit of work here and there with like a couple of dance companies and physical theatre and acting and then I uh, met a uh, friend of mine called Anthony Hampton from London and uh, we started doing some bits of work together and at some point we just kind of said well let's let's make a company. Mm -hmm. So I moved to uh, London in the year 2000 and and I'm still stuck there. So <laughs> it's uh, you know definitely definitely London now. Um, and I worked with Anthony as Rotazaza. That was the name of our company for about ten years. And uh, we uh, we kind of always uh, made work that had something to do with this sort of dual personality that we all have. This kind of like split in your brain with like one voice telling you what to do and one voice or 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 body in fact trying to deal with the instruction yeah and and the way that you uh, are perceived and you present yourself to other people so it's really actually all about what people expect when they look at you mm-hmm. and what you expect to convey okay. when you present yourself sort of thing yeah um, and those were all kind of like very not straightforward theatre shows, but much more straightforward than what we then ended up doing because we uh, then started kind of like being really interested in actual real people rather mm. than performers. We're like, we really are not interested in the mask, not interested in the characters whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, what we like is to see people, real people mm. on stage dealing with things and, and not pretending um, yeah. uh, even when they're asked to pretend is always their reaction so we kind of like started very much working with uh, different performers every night so the structure of the show would always be the same mm-hmm. the script is unchangeable uh, but the people performing it are always different so that's what we kind of started a long time ago and we're still both in our separate ways doing yeah. um, so um, we kind of we had this idea of like uh, different guest performers, as we call them, um, coming on stage uh, half an hour before a show. Sorry, yep. can I just pause? Don't worry. Okay, sorry about that interruption, uh, but we were going to get locked in the room, which would not have been good. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Always best to have the keys. So you've talked a little bit about um, Rotozaza, if I pronounce it correctly. So you worked with Rotozaza and Ant Hampton as co-directors. Can you chat a bit about your relationship with that company and how kind of the work has shifted from then to now, if that makes sense? Yeah. So, um, Rotazaza started making just sort of like 
experimental theatre shows okay. with performers. And then we moved on to not having any performer on stage, but or, or rather having different performers every night for the same show. Yeah. And they were just totally unrehearsed, and they would just follow instructions. Okay. And following the instructions, something, a story unravels. And they, so what the audience is watching is they are witnessing somebody <coughs> being given an instruction have an immediate reaction and then trying to cope with that which is yeah. basically what we do all day long all the time and in, in real life yeah of course. but of course that is within a structure that then forms a narrative and then yeah. it's 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 an actual enjoyable show to watch mm -hmm. and and we kind of shifted a little bit to the way that the audience relates to what happens on stage because somehow, especially at the beginning of all of the shows, what, what would be is that the person on stage is receiving instructions that are coming out of a big PA system. Mm -hmm. And so the audience knows what they're asked to do. And because they're okay. comfortable in their seat, they know how they would react, exactly what they would do. And they feel much more at ease <coughs> than the person that is actually on stage who is being watched doing yeah. that. So you have uh, somehow the, the kind of power uh, balance that you normally have where the performer has the power and the yes. audience is kind of like subject to their power yeah. is completely reversed. Now the audience has got much more power than the, than the performer on stage. Yeah. Um, so we kind of really like that and uh, just try to go quick. <coughs> <laughs> um, so then talking to audience members, they were all like, oh my God, you're so lucky. You get to see all of these different people doing exactly the same show, but it's always different and mm -hmm. it must be really interesting. And yes, it is really interesting. And then we started putting more and more people on stage yeah. uh, so that you could see like the different reaction of the same action. Yeah. And then slowly, slowly, we just kind of uh, talking to also the performers or guest performers, as we call them, that were on stage, we realized that what they really liked was the freedom that you get with receiving an instruction. Because mm -hmm. you suddenly are <coughs> not responsible yeah. whatsoever for what you're going to do, for what yeah. you're going to say. You can take it really lightly and just say, but it's the director's fault, it's the writer's fault, I'm yeah. just going to go. And for once, you know, we're always having to make all of this decision in our life. And for once, for 50 minutes, you can yes. just chill out, just let somebody else tell you what to do. Which is a weird thing, because of course we want freedom, we don't want yeah. people to tell us what to do, but it's very liberating. Well, it's a strange paradox. I found exactly the same in my own work, that the freer I, because I'm very interested in engaging audience and in real people and in real bodies rather than potentially performers. And when I first started doing my experiments at the kind of beginning of my PhD, I gave the audience a lot of freedom and it kind of froze them because they were confused exactly about those things. The power structures, they were confused about their role within yeah. that. So I started building in more and more tasks, more and more structure. Yeah. And the more I did that, the more free the audience seemed to become. So I'm the same, I work with tasks and rules and yeah. I found the more tasks, the more rules I have, the more things change exactly. and shift and the more freedom they have. And to be honest, I think it's also fair because you are responsible for the outcome of your own yeah, show. You can't absolutely. dump it on the on the audience. And no. you know, some people do it brilliantly. Yeah. And some audience members are really up for kind of like going for it and improvising. But I'm not that much interested in that. I'm interested no. in in creating an event, like a situation that happens, unravels that uh, surprises the audience members even though they are making it themselves yes, just yeah. by following instructions yeah. so anthony and i we started doing this kind of work and the first thing that we ever did was called etiquette uh, which is which we wrote in 2006 yeah. etiquette has never stopped and is still touring around the world it exists in so many languages and mm -hmm. it's just come back from china and mandarin version and and now it's in Dalston, in London. So it's always, it's got like, and it's a great little show for two people at a time in a cafe. And yeah. it's very intimate, although it really uses what is there. So you're really in a cafe, you're always aware of your surrounding. But then sometimes you're kind of like immersed into a, a completely <clears throat> other world that doesn't exist other than in your head yeah. and that is constructed by the sound. So that's the kind of what we call the auto teatro, which then yeah. kind of sets off like everything that we do. And uh, I was going to ask you about both of those things. You've already talked a little bit etiquette, and I will come back to that. So you mentioned auto teatro, and I was wondering if you could explain to the people listening what that is. 
Well, the idea about a theater is the idea of a show that happens with the click of a button. So you press play once and then it's all up to the people that are doing it okay. by following instructions. So, but everything falls into place because it's been so synchronized and kind of like carefully written and choreographed mm -hmm. that everything will fall into place. Even yeah. when you are a little bit confused and it feels like you're not really following, possibly that's exactly what we want from yeah. you. Uh, so auto theater is really that. There are no performers, there's no kind of uh, influences from the outside. You press a button, everything happens. Okay. And so that's through headphones usually? Yeah. So it's, it's mostly, yeah, it's, it's mostly headphones. So it's heavily kind of uh, focused on sound, but also very much uh, on the relationship of the yeah. two guest performers, audience okay. members. Um, How yeah. do you, obviously you've talked, you said that um, it's been all over the globe, it's kind of gone and it sort of, it becomes something that you pass on. Obviously a script and something like that is super easy to pass on. So how do you, is it you develop and you make the structure and develop the show? And so how do you kind of pass that and let that go on to someone else? <laughs> uh, to be honest, etiquette, we're, to begin with, we kind of travelled with it. Yeah, but then yeah. we realised really there was no need all I do nowadays is I just pack all of the props uh, um, and everything in a little box, uh, you know, oh, wow. about a foot uh, long <laughs> and just send it in the post whilst Anthony from Berlin is sending the little iPods because now uh -huh. we're, you know, very separate. Yeah, of course. And he sends the iPods and the, uh, and the headphones and, we, and I send the props mm -hmm. and then we have a, a very uh, good description of exactly how to set it up. It's just okay. so meticulous. It's just basically the same as the show, just an instruction on how to set yeah. up the show. And then we always tell them, mm -hmm. just, just press play. And there's always a Skype conversation, yeah, you know, just to make sure they've actually set the So it's almost right. like, a, like a, uh, an instruction manual <coughs> and a package. It's exactly an instruction manual that we send. That's exactly what mm -hmm. it is. And then we kind of have like live chat with the, the technicians, which yeah. is either me or Anthony just mm -hmm. saying, that lamp needs to be a little bit more to the right uh, uh -huh. to make sure the ball of blue tack is really big. And this kind of stuff, but it's really easy nowadays with etiquette. And what is important is that the venue or whoever wants to present it gives us a very clear idea of where the space is, yeah. what's the kind of environment around it, how noisy it is. So we are actually quite choosy. We asked to send a video, yeah. so to get a real sense of the sound and the atmosphere there, and then we exactly choose the table and which direction they have to face and all of that. But it's all stuff that can be done remotely. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit more about kind of the nature of etiquette as a show, kind of almost, and it's like the worst question to be asked is kind of what is it about well, as such? It's okay, because this is actually quite <laughs> simple. Etiquette is about conversation. It's about the struggle that we find in everyday life to get the right words out, mm -hmm. uh, to express yourself in a way that somebody else is going to really completely understand you, which is an impossible task. Of course. Because what yeah. I mean and what you get is all is going to be slightly different yeah um and so it is all just about conversation it's a, it's it's a sharing and it's also kind of somehow meta meta theatrical because yeah. the performer the speaker and the audience member the listener keep kind of swapping around it's a mm -hmm. little bit of a meditation also on what does it mean to perform and to of and course. to uh, witness yeah but it's really mostly about conversation and how hard it is to find the right words. And obviously, because this time the words are not your own, I'm giving them to you. Yeah. It's finally giving you 30 minutes of freedom where you do not have to worry about the words. Because mm -hmm. so then they're given to you. And, and again, that yeah. becomes a kind of freedom in itself, doesn't it? That kind of restriction actually enables you yeah. to be freed from some of the things that we normally have to do. And exactly. I think... I lost interest a very long time ago in kind of things that were to do with my mimesis and things that were to do with pretense and I'm much more interested as well in kind of real bodies in real space and the reframing of the real through performative lenses yeah. and I don't know where that fascination comes from but it's kind of never ending and it because it's persistently changing as well and yeah. I think that's something that's exciting so I, I love the idea of a show that can kind of travel in a box yeah it's a common it's common 
Because theatre usually doesn't travel light either, does it? So it's almost the exact opposite of that. Yeah. You can have something that's compact and that can translate and move into different spaces like that. Yeah. Um, so again, you mentioned that you have, it's been all around um, internationally, around the globe. Have you found people in different cultural contexts have responded to it in different ways? Uh, I have to say that actually, mostly no. Oh, mostly really people are very... I mean, yes, sure, there is, you know, in Mexico City, we were in a, in a square, which is quite unusual for etiquette. Mm-hmm. And people, more than the people doing it, the people doing it is, is such an intimate um, experience and is so simple in a way that it speaks to anyone. I mean, yeah. sure, the Japanese might find it a little bit more challenging to, to touch each other's hand, yeah. but uh, there might be a bit more giggling. But the actual overall feeling of the show, it's always kind of the same because it's really about creating a bubble between two people and allowing them to experience something that is really happening in front of their eyes because they are doing it. Mm -hmm. So somehow it's always the same. But then, you know, of course, it's been quite interesting. And uh, as I was saying, Mexico City, then you've got like a massive crowd of people that want to watch the people who are doing the show, yeah. which absolutely yeah. makes no sense because they, they, they can't hear. No. It's totally obscure what they're doing. They're a bit weird, but they love that. Anything yeah. was great. Yeah. And um, I think yeah. I may have participated in at the BAC. Did you do it as part of one yeah. of the one-on-ones? Yeah. I definitely did then. Yeah. I was at a table, yeah. headphones, yeah. and little props. That's the so one. I definitely, it was quite a long time ago now. It was, yeah, must have been, yeah. must have been 2000, 2007, yeah. 2008, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I've got notes in a book on a shelf somewhere then. I think it's exactly, i tell you what it was, I think it's exactly 2011. Maybe. Yeah, because two thousand that because I was there with also uh, and the birds fell from the sky by Il Pixaroso. Mm. Uh, so I was in a room upstairs and etiquette was downstairs. Um, yeah, it so must yeah. have been that year. Yeah, it must have. Yeah, because and now you're starting to talk about it. I'm like, I definitely, definitely participated in that, yeah. which means I have notes about that on, <laughs> in a Great. book on a shelf somewhere, which I'm going to get round to at some point. So yeah, so I was worried because I've only been to. Um, showing that you did when you were here with us last uh, time yeah. I was worried that I hadn't been to enough of your work but actually it turns out I have definitely you have definitely seen etiquette yes great and that's really challenging now I find it so difficult You're like I've seen this and it's like well I didn't really see it I kind of how do I now start to talk did I, did I see it did I take part did I it becomes really challenging yeah. to talk about this kind of work yeah uh, because it's also very personal yeah uh, and exactly it's, it's very personal and it's hard to describe it <laughs> So, uh, like, marketing-wise, it's quite difficult. <laughs> yeah, I always have this, because yeah. people always want a soundbite, or can you explain it in a hundred words? Like, yeah. No. Yeah, it's <laughs> no, quite, it's quite hard. Really. Well, luckily, etiquette in this case is quite, is quite simple. And it has to be said that when we made it, there was really nothing like that around. No, there wasn't. I, was, I remember because I was doing research for my PhD, yeah. specifically trying to find work that yeah. was engaging audiences in this way. And it really excited me because it was one of the early pieces that I found that was doing that. Yeah. So um, I'm going to dig my notes out now because I'm Great. interested to see what I thought <laughs> then, which is kind of so funny, isn't it? So you began to work um, outside of Rotozaza on Wondermart. Yes. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the shift away um, from that company and that piece of work. Well, I mean, uh, Wondermart, we started off kind of having the idea together, Anthony and I wanted to do it together. We went did a lot of research in New York City because that's where the first supermarket was built and uh, uh, had like really interesting chats with like great like activists and uh, opened this like really interesting spaces. Um, but then I was really, what I really like, um, and that's kind of where we sort of parted. Anthony kind of went, well, Anthony would have to talk about his own work himself because <coughs> yeah, I, no, I couldn't course. actually describe it. <laughs> but what I got really interested in, and, and that's an old love of mine that I've developed with Gemma, in, in kind of using um, the space outside, using like, you know, normal, normal spaces, public spaces, mm-hmm. and, and use them for a slightly different 
thing. So yeah. with with a different hidden agenda yeah. that nobody knows about. So without absolutely no disruption of the surrounding, no disruption for the people that are there and living and interacting with the space in the way that the space has been built for, mm -hmm. uh, but using it as the sort of background of, of, a, of a private uh, experience that only happens to the people that have headphones, uh -huh. who are completely hidden uh, within the crowd. Um, so Gemma and I, we did this little show called Pinocchio many years ago, and it was for three audience members at the time. We were driving around the city in a little car, oh. vaguely inspired by the idea of <clears throat> Pinocchio. In fact, it was just these two people, like, all constantly kind of traveling on the trail of this, uh, uh, of this whale. And every time they, they get to the whale, the whale is gone. It's gone yeah. and, and that was great because we could use loads of, like, radio bits of, of real whales. In fact, it was the year that the whale was stranded in the Thames yes, when we I wrote it. Yes, I remember that. I remember that really well. And, and so we kind of completely lifted all of that and we were playing with real radio, fake radio. So what I like to play with is real environment, uh, using them though for a story that is, it heightens the environment mm -hmm. because it, it overimposes a narrative that is completely hidden and it's yeah. only for some yeah. sort of privileged audience member that are kind of like witnessing it from a very particular angle. Yeah sometimes right in it, sometimes just observing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why I then took Wondermart because I was more interested in that and Anthony was less interested in that. So I took it and just uh, decided to write this way of interacting with a horrible commercial setting, mm -hmm. but for a completely different reason. And that is to kind of create a little bit of uh, intrigue and like a little mm -hmm. kind of artistic experience i love that because food shopping is my least favorite job of the week i yeah. find it really stressful but at the same <laughs> time it's so good if you're going around and you're just looking at the people everyone's so mm. interesting and what they choose and how much they they stop there and scratch their chin to, <laughs> to decide which label which brand, which brand you know to and and the, the whole kind of ideas of wonder might is suddenly everybody becomes important mm -hmm. so all of these people that normally you want to just kind of shove to one side because they're just in your way you're there with your yeah. trolley you're just trying to get your <laughs> shopping quick you know get to the milk it's always <clears> at the <throat> back you know where it is go grab it jump like instead is pause look yeah. around yeah. and look at the people and discover who this person could be this or yeah. is he a surgeon is he thinking about this or like so it's kind of over obviously my a big 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 influence for me is um john smith girl chewing gum mm -hmm. and uh which is this beautiful film that I, I'm, I'm sure you know but it, he kind of like films a corner in dalston in fact and it has all of these people passing by. And then obviously he overimposed afterwards a commentary where it sounds like he's asking people to come and say, like, now the old man with the hat come in from the left as uh, the uh, three boys, the three naughty boys, like uh, run around and wave with their hand and then they keep going. Yeah. And now I want the uh, pigeons to all fly left to right whilst the car is crossing the road. It's just a brilliant film yeah. that I love so much. So the idea is really very much the same. Use the real world, use the real people. Don't bother them because it's not fair you know they're, yeah. they're there and there's no need to uh, to just shout in people's face to create a show I well think I think that's where things have really shifted since the kind of fluxus happenings kind of some of the things that really put people off things that called them called itself participatory frightens yeah. a lot of people and yeah. I think it because it comes from a very kind of protest and reactionary space from the 60s and 70s yeah. but what I love is that actually everything's moved quite a long way from that it's still being driven by those principles of kind of the reframing of the mm -hmm. real reframing of the everyday but actually there's much more care I yeah. think in a lot of work now and much more consideration and a duty to care yeah. for those environments and for those people but also because if you want to use that environment and you because of what it has you can't you can't go and change it no and if you start kind of like creating chaos then it's not that place anymore no it's not exactly. so you've got to step back let the place be what it is let the people that live there do the thing that they normally do mm. and then just go from from underneath like 
sly kind like of strategic, hidden. Strategic penetration. Yeah, That's exactly. how I always think of it. Take take the space and respect the space, but kind of make small uh, kind of interactions from, but from within that space and yeah. what that space actually is. And I think I like that work has moved away from kind of assaulting yeah, oh, absolutely. a space and assaulting people because yeah. I think that's what puts a lot of people off yeah. anything that says totally. participation because oh, they just get it terrified. puts me off I have yeah, to say I, I'm the worst audience member in the world when it comes to participatory <laughs> theatre I just run miles I don't want to know sorry I'm just like no I'm always the first one. I want to play, I want to play. I'm the worst. I just get up and I'm be straight in there. Oh, really? No, no. I'm the worst as in, like, really? I wouldn't want me and my own audience. You know? I always always have to ask myself, okay, not what what would I do as an audience member? Because I would just do whatever I'm kind of asked to do and whatever seems like it would be fun and engaging. But I have to ask, what would someone who is shy or someone who doesn't like to kind of reveal themselves or perform? I'm like, I'm a performer. I'm from a performance background. Performing is fine. I like performing. But what would someone who doesn't necessarily yeah. like performing or have that kind of background do in this situation and I think it's very much about taking care and it's very much about kind of giving people the space to do that but rules it is rules and tasks yeah. that allow that freedom yeah. because you're responsible for making them like yeah. you said it's not getting people stressed out about having to come up with something good no wh- which is a to. massive pressure especially in the social media culture yeah. everything yeah. is about being ex- like one-liners being brilliant oh, coming up yeah. with something clever funny witty creative <laughs> but you can do by setting up the structure and setting up the rules you kind of take that pressure mm-hmm. going it's okay we've kind of developed this structure you just have to respond yeah within it and enjoy it and that yeah. is more enjoyable yeah. i think yeah. especially you don't have that anxiety and i think anxiety is a massive barrier to getting people to actually participate with yeah. you <laughs> yeah. okay so what's i going to go on to next um so you moved away from uh, Roto Zaza and you talked a little, just a little bit, but I wanted to talk a bit more about El Pixaroso. Is that how yep. you, and the development of that and the kind of work that you've been doing then yeah. uh, under that company? So <coughs> El Pixaroso really comes in completely by chance somehow. Um, I was uh, at that point working on my own, uh, just made Wonder Mart and, and then I was working with Gemma a lot on kind of like, more sort of architectural urban interventions Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I was asked by the director of um, Brighton and Hove White Knight to make a piece and I kind of had this desire of carrying on with this idea of like a journey but, but push it into a journey that becomes completely fantastical and so I was thinking, maybe I can have this car, maybe I can have projections onto the windows so they are in an enclosed space. They, but anyway, I started talking with a friend of mine, Simon Wilkinson, who's a brilliant filmmaker. And, um, and we just thought, let's just make the show together. Because for some reason, he was thinking about something in a car too. So we kind of looked at each other and was like, mm-hmm. it makes no sense to make two shows for the same night in yeah. cars. So let's just do something together. And um, so we kind of uh, really joined this idea of like a merge together, like instruction-based theatre, auto theatre and cinema. Mm -hmm. So to create uh, shows, basically what we did, we were using video goggles. So audience members are kitted out with a set of headphones and video goggles. So totally no ears, no eyes, or at least not your own anymore. Yeah. And in fact, on top of that, we also put them uh, in wheelchairs and wheel them around and then oh, wow. drop them into a car seat, which had like a massive heavy base behind to make it vibrate. So it really felt like you were oh, in, a like car. in a car. What you're watching through your uh, video goggles is a film that is shot from your point of view. So every time you're uh, given an instruction like stretch out your right hand and point, uh, you would see exactly at the same time that you do the ah. movement, the same thing happening on film. So but this kind of idea of like, um, I will tell you later because right now it's just gone completely <laughs> out fine. of my brain, uh, but is this rubber hand illusion. Yeah. So it's a big study about, you know, like you've got your own hand and then you've got a rubber hand and you've got a wall 
so you can't see your real hand but your rubber hand is placed in the right place to be your hand yeah and your hand or your real hand is being stroked for a while with a paintbrush and then they move to the rubber hand and you still feel the feet the sensation on your on the rubber hand because as if it was your own it. wow because your brain wants to make sense of things yeah of course so in the same way video goggles that's why i, I like them for that bit mm-hmm. um because you could create a film that is like really feels like you are really watching the stuff that is happening there mm-hmm. and we also kind of cheated a little bit in the sort of auto theater pure <laughs> style pressing a button and nothing else happens around you but we kind of started like spraying scents um yeah so there were like physical sensations and smells and like being moved in the space that made sense of what you were watching so mm-hmm. suddenly everything felt really real but yeah. it was completely crazy yeah. a horrible experience which you wouldn't want to be in like <laughs> you get basically in the film in the in the show you get kidnapped by this bunch of kind of horrible um clowns speaking a language you do not understand which we actually wrote a whole kind of made up language for that um and they're obviously pointing at you laughing at you talking to you and you're trying to and it's it's this idea of like just jumping you know into a world of instinct rather than reason and for a while forget about what is good and what is wrong Mm -hmm. uh, and just go for instinct and pure kind of feeling and sensations and uh, by the end of that it's like a sort of reminder you kind of sort of meet yourself in the show and you're looking out at your own reflection and then you Mm -hmm. discover who you are Uh and then by the end of the show you're you're in this big field and you meet yourself again and it's a little kind of like reminder that we don't always have to be rational yeah. we don't always have to do the right thing but sometimes do you know mistakes and and, and shit it's yeah. all right yeah absolutely. you know yeah um without it didn't sound moralistic <laughs> it actually didn't have any kind of like and this is what you should do but it kind of felt like you know that sort of journey and and people loved it because it was so crazy and mm. just completely completely disorienting it's challenging as well isn't it with this kind of work because you can't get kind of the numbers through the door which does make it really difficult and i wanted to kind of ask you over the course of um making your work so far has that been a barrier to being able to kind not of really produce things no not really in fact to be honest has been quite a uh, positive positive thing especially because I never apart from this new project I'm working on now never use theater spaces mm-hmm. never so it's always stuff that a theater can program alongside their normal yeah. uh, program yeah. so they get their bums on seats yeah. through like bigger shows and this is actually what allows them to broaden their kind of yeah. audience engagement get like more interesting people that maybe are not so interested in theater but are really into technology so they would exactly come and suddenly uh, you know be in touch with something that they wouldn't have encountered otherwise which is brilliant i think there's an awful lot of people now because there's so much crossover with gaming there's yeah. so much crossover with kind of live action gaming yeah. all of and i think it's there's a huge possibility for kind of new audiences yeah. and to bring new audiences into yeah. performance and then i mean you know etiquette would start in the morning would end in the evening so it's like depending on how many tables they wanted is yeah. two people per table every half hour actually by the end of the day you had like a good 60 people that went yeah so and the same <laughs> thing is for a pixar also obviously less easy than uh, etiquette or wondermart because that's really once you've given the ipod you don't that's have to do it, anything yeah. Whilst that and it requires for a pixel also requires some ushers being there. It's really long hours, really, yeah. really long, where you you get like almost into a kind of slightly altered mind yes. mindset because especially the person who is ushering in the main room for and the birds fell from the sky, you're in the dark and like spraying like all sorts of weird scents and like doing like really kind of delicate tiny little things all with a little kind of earphone so, so you're mm-hmm. perfectly synchronized and it's like you come out quite exhausted well it becomes an endurance usher. doesn't it because i do i either do yeah. durational work or one-on-one which is still durational for the yeah. performer because yeah. although the audience only come to you for 20 30 minutes totally. of course you're doing back to back to back to back yeah. so it's a different it's a really different kind of 
performance and a really different kind of energy I think needed to do that and it's beautiful at the same time because every time is different for the people and just seeing people like laughing in that one point you know like they're all gonna laugh or we actually then pushed it after and the birds fell from the sky we pushed it and we got commissioned by a roundhouse to do a big kind of circusy um Mm -hmm. uh, themed show so we the the kind of idea technically was the same we've got video goggles but you got instruction is kind of like really you're in a film and you're told exactly what to do but this time we put people on trapezes and oh, we wow. got them to fly and do like really crazy stuff yeah, it must completely throw all of your usual senses being kind of yeah, suspended mean, people like <laughs> yeah. screaming and oh, just wow. like really good really good responses and we got like a very good training doing that because mm-hmm. like lifting every person up and down on these kind of yeah. lift systems and like uh, swinging them around is uh, it's quite a challenge <laughs> i have to say <laughs> We were very fit during the run yeah. of the Grace Pavaldos. Don't need to do any cardio or anything else. Oh, no that. need. <laughs> so I was going to ask you that, actually. What kind of audience does your work attract? Do you kind of find that you have a following, or do you think it's really diverse, depending on where you go? Uh, I think I think it's really diverse. I mean, I would say, obviously, younger, you know, technolo- technology-savvy people, you yeah. know, they like that. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of kind of like arty, young, interesting people that want to see how you kind of use certain things. Yes. Uh, but I have to say, I've had all sorts, like really kind of normal theatre goers, like uh, people of a certain age, mm-hmm. as well as like not necessarily just young people. Yeah. Um, we've had all sorts, you know, all sorts. It's huge. It's become, that was going to kind of lead me into my next question, really. I mean, immersive has become this huge term that's applied to varying types of yeah. work across all different disciplines yeah. at the moment yeah. and it is true that it is also like the more you know my mum and dad would not necessarily choose a immersive theatre show mm-hmm. if it was up to them which is why I am now in the show that I am doing now I, I really want them to come as well yeah of course so I don't want it to be exclusive I yeah. don't want it to be the cool thing that the cool kids do and yeah, the yeah. arty people do. Yeah. I want my grandmother to be able to come and feel yeah. comfortable to sit in the audience and be a beginner and do a couple of actions and still enjoy the show. Yeah. Sure, she will not choose to be the hero <laughs> of the show. Yeah. Or maybe she would, actually. Yeah. She's crazy, so yeah, she probably would. <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, the term is... I find it difficult because it's hard to really get a sense of what work is because I think the term has started to really kind of take over from yeah. actually having any meaning or any relationship yeah. to the work and I wanted to ask yeah. you kind of how you felt about the term and how you felt about the term in relation to your work as well because I'm starting to find it hugely problematic yeah like for example I would say I don't know in the way that people conceive the idea of in immersive theatre I'm somewhat thinking really this isn't Although it totally is, because you are immersed into something. You're immersed into something that it's really happening for real. And it's everything around you is part of it, even Mm -hmm. though it's maybe this normal room or a cafe or, you know, but, uh, you know, I suppose I would say that immersive for the kind of work that I do could um, uh, be appropriate if you just think about it in terms of how much you are important for the action. So you, as in, you get lifted and put in the middle of something where you are really responsible. There's no just watching on it. Gareth White kind of talks about it, because lots of different people have talked about it in different ways, but he said it's the access to the interior of something, which I quite like. That's a very nice way of putting it. Because it means that you, and sometimes the access to the interior of something is actually you. Yeah, yeah. and that's <laughs> that definitely makes sense for because for me it's really about lifting somebody and putting them inside something. Yeah, and so it's really the same thing. And that doesn't mean because of course I think that most people would imagine immersive theatre meaning um, you know big kind of 
shunned or punch drunk yeah. you know we get like a lot of people saying sets. oh that wasn't immersive because they have this expectation of because there's no big set yes, or a big, yeah. because i i haven't been walking around thinking is the 13th century yeah but it's for me it's not necessarily that but i actually to be honest i don't really like to define my work as immersive necessarily no, no, me neither and I sometimes think i think it's got that it gets that, pushed but, onto you yeah. as a term yeah. And I think it's just, at the moment, it's just too broad and doesn't really mean anything I know. at I all. I keep trying to, you know, <laughs> bring back the outer theatre, yeah, but nobody do. really understands that either, so. <laughs> and of course, at yeah. the moment, it's very much used as a marketing tool as well, yeah. kind of, they can stick immersive on something exactly. and it will draw a very specific crowd. But I think also, you're right, it alienates some yeah, totally. theatre goers as well. It's like, you know, live art or performance art, it's got a really bad name. I know, Nobody I wants know. to go to see performance art. I don't want to. But that's just the preconception. Yeah, of course. But then you go, and, and it, it could be like a brilliant thing. It's and just it makes this... me really sad, because I would consider myself a live artist, but that term comes with so much terrifying baggage yeah. that even saying the words myself I find I so problematic. Like... But it's like the very thing that sits at the bottom of it is exactly the thing that we've been talking about, yeah. which is that access to reframing the yeah. everyday. And yeah. That is actually the impetus that drives live art and yeah. most performance art, but it's been lost in this kind of strange yeah. Yeah. perception and um, it's really sort of precocious in some yeah. ways. And I think that is a shame, yeah. but that is the public perception of it. So those terms, yeah. and I suspect immersion is going to become problematic in the same way that Very much. performance yeah. art. Or at least it's just that well. people understand it much more like, as I said, you know, like the big kind of sets and the kind yeah. of big expansive me it's just about putting you yeah. in the middle you're mm. the focus rather yeah. than other people and actually i think in some of those big uh expansive environments actually you're not the you're focus not the at focus. all I, I actually feel like a ghost in those things i feel like i'm whether i'm there or not is irrelevant i don't, don't get me wrong i enjoy it and i i think some of the things they do are actually just incredible and beautiful environments but i don't feel like Actually, I'm no, inside I always that feel like I'm feel observing. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm always, so. I always feel like I'm observing, uh, but yeah, but then that depends very much on who you are. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, how much personal. how much you've experienced of of that kind of work. Yeah, because of course, the more you experience, the more cynical yeah. you sort of become, and yes. the more critical, and the more yes. kind of like. Because <laughs> I've been chasing this. Because of course, it's it's what I write about. It's what I make. So I've been chasing this stuff down since like two thousand and six. Yeah. In all seriousness, so of course, the more and more you go to see, and I try and see as much as I can. You start to But it does make you really yeah. cynical because it becomes well for me, especially it's work as well. So it's really hard to. And so when I do find something that surprises me or makes me forget mm. what I'm there for, I enjoy, and mm. that is often something which manages to put me inside something yeah. or to take me out of myself. I think either of those things mm. works. So I was going to ask you, there is a lot of risk involved in dealing with work which requires participation, which requires the audience to engage in a specific way. And how do you, I know I have massive issues with this, how do you rehearse it? How mm. do you manage it in your process when you have the most important thing yeah. absent? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of in your head, isn't there? Of course. There's a lot of in your head. I have to say that I think after so many years, I feel like I have quite a good understanding of how long people take to understand a certain thing. Yeah. And I think I've possibly understood what's the gap between an instruction and when can I expect them to have done it. Yeah. And then it's about, for me, it's really about writing the instruction and then rewriting them and then rewriting them and mm -hmm. then and th until they're super clear. But yeah. definitely, I mean, for anything like from El Pixaroso and Rutazazo or Wonder Martin, my own, it's easy because you can test it on yourself yeah. or you can have a friend <coughs> and test it, you yeah. and the other person. When it comes to this new project that I'm doing, that is for a hundred people, and I'm trying to imagine a hundred people, yeah. uh, I do need bodies. Bodies, absolutely. And so, you know, the only way for me is to collaborate with yeah. um, a, a university like here with you, and having students and uh, having people available to, to test. So yeah. I've written it all. It's all there. All yeah. of the instructions are there. It's all been recorded. I mean, I'll re-recorded like about a, a seven million times, I know, because I won't be happy until yeah, of course. the day it, <laughs> after it's finished touring. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but this, for me, this 
part of the work is crucial now is about really testing 16 different people doing stuff at the same time yeah. are they all falling into place of course. and for that that's the only way you have to it's the rules isn't it i've been working on the piece that i'm working on for three years and it is literally about do the rules see how people respond to them and yeah. then yeah. just revise them and tweak Trial them and, and, error, and error, just, yeah it? and it's over and over and over and over again and it's really just about like you said trying to be as clear as possible in order to make them as yeah comfortable and then as free as possible yeah and also i mean i i, th <laughs> I think i i never ask them to do anything that is really embarrassing or no. that they wouldn't want to do because no. i don't think it's fair i'm asking them to say yes so i have to take care of of them i agree and, and i think there is for me the first rule a difference isn't there between there's a duty to care and a duty of care and i think it, you have a duty to care mm. what you ask those people to do yeah and i think that is massively important yeah. and that's that for me is always the most important and if they feel well. that you have really like that you're not letting them down you're not going to let them down even if what you're building with them ends up being something that it's a little bit awkward or a little bit funny or like yeah. you end up failing yeah. You still know because of the way that you've been led through that you're looked after. Yeah, so exactly. It's, okay. it's just about being caring for someone and feeling cared for. And I think yeah. people feel like they'll take a, take a leap with you if you care for them and you hold their hand. Exactly. <laughs> and don't let go. And that's exactly. all they need to feel, isn't it? Is that you, or if you do, that you have agreed to be able to do that. And yeah. I think it's about making people comfortable and caring for yeah. them. Um, have there been any instances when things have people have responded in ways that were absolutely surprising and have just you've been like I would never have thought people would behave that way or do those things in the performance or is are people usually fairly predictable I have to say that probably I've had a couple of things I mean but it's it's really kind of very unusual i mean mm. i've had somebody like deciding that they were going to pour all of the food coloring that we call blood all over the surface but he was drunk you know oh, and yeah. that's uh, uh rule number two drunk people do not take part in this stuff no, they no. are not allowed sorry <clears throat> and then i did have somebody pretty crazy that decided to let go of the trapeze and throw himself backwards <gasps> which was quite crazy that's really crazy. That's, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> totally freaked me out, but luckily it was okay. Uh, wow. But um, I uh, no, no. That's really people good are pretty idea. good. Yeah. People are pretty good. People do actually like rules, and people do tend yeah. to follow the rules. Occasionally, I think actually in the expansive spaces, I've spoken to practitioners where much more serious things have gone wrong, but they have a lot more freedom yeah. kind of within that space to yeah. misbehave. I think actually it was more likely for things to go wrong when we had guest performers on stage that mm. they were sort of performers yeah. because they wanted to cover up their insecurity and not knowing what was coming next with some sort of funny jokes or, yeah. or like pretend kind of uh, yeah. boldness. And actually that is why we stopped doing it with actual performers. Yeah. Because it wasn't so interesting. No, and I they agree. were actually it's ruining. Really, yeah. <laughs> I find that hard. And the first thing when I am working with performers is I have to kind of say, don't, don't act. Don't act. Please don't act. Please don't act. Just literally respond to the task or yeah. the rule. That should just literally, if you do that, it will be interesting. Trust yeah. that it will be interesting. And when it's not interesting, it's interesting too. So yeah. trust the rules. But it will be interesting <laughs> to see for this new show what happens. Because yeah. I suspect that here there might be some place where people might go a little bit bananas. And well, they're drama students too, which means that they oh, are yeah, true to performers <laughs> we'll too. See. So they like it. They yeah. don't mind. They don't embarrass easily. I, I think. <laughs> I think is uh, you know in this new show I do tell people what they can, I allow them to choose how much they want to be immersed in in the yeah. action. Although they're totally all immersed, but there's those that are part of a big chorus, so yeah. that they can feel more. I would definitely go for the chorus if it, if I was one. <laughs> I'd definitely be a beginner, and if I could be a sub beginner, that would be better. But anyway, the, the, the beginners are part of a big chorus, so they're kind of like very safe. Yeah. And then there's a smaller group, which, you know, still you feel like, okay, I'm not on my own. 
But for those that feel bold and crazy, and there will be they some. will go for heroes. And the heroes, I'm going to have to be quite careful to begin with who I give the hero to. Yes. Because there might be people that are too keen on being heroes. Yes, exactly. And then end up actually not following the instructions mm -hmm. and doing what they want, which is really not what should no. happen. So we're currently talking about um, your current piece of work, which is Macondo. Yes. That you're here with us for a whole week. We're really fortunate to have you here using our space. And our students are coming later in the week to work with you and help you to test some of these things yes so would you like to talk a little bit about the show um yeah well i mean very briefly macondo is slightly inspired by 100 years of solitude which is this absolutely impossible book to talk about mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, even if you've read the book now i've read it five times i'm still confused sometimes as to who's doing exactly what for one thing, because everybody's called the same, pretty much. Yeah. They're either Arcadio or Jose or Aureliano, um, uh, or all three in the same name. Uh -huh. um, and it's this massive saga, you know, it's, like it's over more than 100 years. And it's mm -hmm. like the story is just so complicated, it's impossible to tell. So, But what uh, I'm interested in, in in this story is that the characters of the book, they find themselves leading, uh, leading a life that feels like they are leading they yeah. are taking this decision it feels like that um but in fact it turns out that everything had been predicted so everything that happened to them every choice a choice that they made every step that they decided to take one way or another way had already been set mm -hmm. it's just that until the very last page nobody manages to uh, translate this big parchment that has <laughs> all of the story of the hundred years of solitude so I like that as a parallel to the predicament that the audience members Absolutely, are in. So yeah. they have no clue, but everything has been scripted. Mm -hmm. There is no way of, like, there's no need or way for them to go off the script. Mm -hmm. All they can do is just follow the instruction. But because they're really doing them and really hearing them for the first time, it feels like it's really real. Yeah, it's really yeah. happening to them. And uh, so... That's the sort of reason why I picked that book and just yeah. kind of like I use here and there some little bits, but it's really just about, uh, for me, it's about trying to create um, an experience where people um, feel the kind of strength of the group, mm -hmm. the, the kind of like ideally is like instead of going to the theatre, sitting back and watching a show, which is brilliant, this time they will sit back to begin with, but then they'll realize they have to make the show. If they don't do anything, nothing will happen. And yeah. then they will. And because everyone is in the same, mm -hmm. at the same level, there isn't one that knows more than the other. They're all clueless and they know it. <laughs> and they're all not rehearsed. They really, none of them knows what's no. happening. So hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping to create this real sense of community. And, and and the the ability that a community has to build something. Yes. And then so that when they go out, they don't go out in different directions. They will, of course, but they go out together, you well, know, made having made something they? together. It reminds yeah. me of um there's an academic called Herbert Blau who wrote a book about the audience and he said audiences don't exist as a as a a thing. They're made by and through mm performance and yeah. I, I, that has always stuck with me as a maker and as an academic as well yeah. I just I love the idea Something. of yeah. people coming together and owning and making something yeah right there by and being then, there by being there yeah. and by being part of something mm -hmm. and I find that I, I would just love the idea of that and what you're talking about very much reminded me kind of of that of being produced by and through and of course in this case they actually produce the performance itself too yeah. by participating in and then way. of course the performance is always exactly the same every night yeah. I mean the story is always the same but the way that it's performed will be like so different because mm. you might have once the hero uh, is a tiny little man and sometimes is a gigantic woman I yeah. mean you never, yeah. know. You never know and sometimes they're kind of like you know happy sometimes maybe they're more melancholic it's just mm. how people uh, react to the instructions going to be so mm. different and so every night will be different and the village Macondo which has been built every night is really belongs to them belongs to you them, cannot yeah. repeat it no and I love that, that. one on that yeah. one night will never be repeated no. and it's interesting isn't it because it it's so paradoxical because it is fixed and it's utterly 
unchangeable in that respect, but also it's completely unrepeatable in every way, but it's the unchangeability that generates the unrepeatability. And yeah. for me, I love that tension. Mm. And I think that that's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting as a maker and it's exciting as the audience yes, as well. Yes, exactly, because you can definitely feel it. Thrilling you know and you it. feel like you have genuinely contributed to the generation of something, mm. even though it evaporates straight away. And again, that's part of the lovely yeah. thing, which was the last thing I wanted to ask yeah. you about. I've asked everyone I've spoken to about this. Yeah. It's my own anxiety. This work is all about, um, all the kind of immersive work is about experience ultimately. It's about people engaging, having an experience, which means it's really hard to document mm. in a meaningful way. So I am terrified that in 20 years time, there'll be nothing left, which is the thing that makes mm. the work itself exciting. And as a maker, I purposefully make things intangible. But as an academic, I think in 20 years, will, this, will there be a kind of cultural gap mm. where we forgot what happened because we don't have a document of it? So I was going to ask you, do you document your work and how do you document your work if you do? Um, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, it's tricky because when you're filming, normally you're filming with the idea of promotion of course yeah. and most of the stuff um well for one thing etiquette for example it's impossible to film i mean there's nothing interesting to see uh, so full stop but we've got quite a few bits of like interviews and bits of the show where we kind of reveal a little bit of the sound so you can get a sense yeah uh, for a picture also is also pretty much impossible because we don't want to reveal how no, exactly. we make them fly we don't want to reveal no, of course how not. they get into the car or what happens no. So it's all about the mystery, so it's very hard. Uh, pictures, I imagine that yeah. for this show, I'll probably, what I'll, I am gonna try to do is decide one scene that maybe is the beginning, yeah. or, or a central scene that I think it's really, and uh, video that two minutes many times, and yes. then put them all together oh, lovely, so that you can yeah. kind of see in real time is exactly the same show but, but so many everyone's people, different yeah. yeah so that's the only way that you can well this is a challenge and i find that it's not just about documenting it in terms of legacy and heritage yeah. but also promotion becomes difficult because it's the yeah. same you want yeah. mystery and you want to keep it a secret yeah so it, it does make it challenging and i have exactly the same it's issues so myself I'm like, how much do you do because people want especially in terms of trying to get into venues, getting all that stuff, and you need that kind of promotional material. The good thing material. is that at least my work is very heavy on sound. Yeah, and so, so at least you've got... All the audio tracks will remain. Mm -hmm. I've done a few things with Fuel that is like just purely audio tracks, and it's yeah. like a little thing that you do with the mirror. I love the idea that, like that in 30 years' time, you'll go in the Tate and the box will be there. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah. All right, I, I'm, I'm up for that. <laughs> <laughs> and they could literally really kind of yeah. experience the show yeah, for great. real rather than... So I think yeah. your work has a lot more potential in terms of its its legacy than some of the work does. I think it's it would it lasts better because it has that kind of the audio and you have the instructions mm, yeah, and you have those yeah. kind of things which survive beyond the performance. So it could be recreated. Yeah. It's not even recreated, is it? It's, it's just done and I'm trying I always <laughs> desperately try to keep it simple in terms of props and things mm. to have nothing uh, I mean last time I was here you saw it we had like six enormous I mirrors did, yeah, on wheels, on wheels and, yeah. which looked great but to be honest it was just far too much and, and I had to I move just, it around you did a massive van all the time and yeah, yeah and also the kind of live camera feeds and stuff like that to be honest that's all gone because wow, okay. I'm just interested in the people. I'm very looking forward to Friday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, I'm going to try and pop in and out over the next couple of days as Great. well to kind of see what you're doing. Well, thank you so very much for a pleasure giving the time to talk to me. I know you're only here with us for a week, so and you're super busy during the week working to develop the show. The last thing I'd like you to talk yeah. to people about is if they want to come and catch your work. Yeah. Um, this episode is liable to go live at some point in January. Okay. Um, where and when might they be able to? And where's the best way to keep up with news with you? Is it on your website, Twitter? Yes, I think uh, my website is always updated. I've got all of the Brilliant. dates out. Um, you know how it, it's hard because it's hard to sell a show if the show doesn't exist. And I kind of have yeah. some bookings, but they're all kind of like kind of there and maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, 
they could come to Australia. Absolutely. So the best <laughs> this way is, what I'm trying to, is to follow you on your... I think the website the is website. the best thing. I do have a Facebook page that is Great. just Silvia Mercuriali, which is hard to spell and good luck. I will put it all in the, um, in, in the title so people can find you. And Perfect. I'll get a click through to your website on mine as well so people Great. can literally... I think that's the best way. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna try to use you know Facebook mainly to yeah. get the word out and then I do have a, a newsletter so you can subscribe to my mailing list through my website Brilliant. Um, and it's the plan then to start touring from yeah. now then to take it about so basically keep your eyes keep your eyes peeled for Macondo get subscribed and then you won't miss out or miss anything exactly. so I'm lucky I'm gonna get to little, get a little preview that you guys won't oh. so sorry <laughs> it'll be <laughs> It'll be the chaotic preview, and uh, you know you'll uh, yeah it'll be great. And it's clearly moved a really long way from where I saw it last year too, yeah. which means that it's going to probably be really different by the time everyone who's listening goes. Absolutely, to it yes, it might end up being just nothing. Just who knows? Yeah, just who knows? Who knows? Just just uh, <laughs> a couple of cats hunting. Wow! But the best thing is to. Uh, follow online so that you can keep up to date with all the news yes. and all of that so we're going to go now because I suspect very soon we're going to be kicked yes. out by security guards and I think my collaborators they're probably like <laughs> they're probably starting like, to uh, rot yeah I know they're like we want to go well thank you very much for giving me the time thank you thank, thank you. you brilliant thank you so much for listening I really hope you enjoyed that episode as usual, it will be really lovely to hear from you. You can tweet us, email or Facebook your comments, your feedback, your thoughts. You can do that via Twitter. You can comment on YouTube, Facebook, pretty much any way you'd like to get hold of me, you can. Um, and again, share, share, share with anyone you think might be interested. So this was the last podcast episode of this year, which is quite exciting. So I wanted to wish everybody a very merry festive season and a happy Christmas. And next year we have got loads and loads of exciting things coming up. So until 2017, goodbye.